Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The word of the Lord. Good morning, the Lord be with you. Hey, my name is Troy, and um, I gotta say, you guys look great. Not sleep deprived in the least. You look great. Thank you for being here. Um, I, uh, I've been a bit emotionally hijacked already this morning. I think I came in a unprepared for the ways that these songs were going to get into my head and heart today. So I want to warn you, this may be a 55-minute sermon with 45 minutes of me weeping. Man. Um, Okay, for the last month or so, our Mars Hill staff has been switching things up on Tuesdays. One of our staff members, Holly Vanderyat, she came up with a very helpful idea. Uh, and She was attempting, in our small way, uh, to combat these cold, long, sunless days of February and early March. Holly coordinated for our staff a multiple week-long soup cook-off competition. Yeah, it's been amazing. Every Tuesday, three or four people on our staff bring a soup. And between the hours of 11.30 a.m. and 2 p.m., our staff eats and then votes, spreads votes around for our favorite soup. It has been incredible. The counters in our kitchenette, they've been covered with crock pots, and with bowls full of goodies and toppings and condiments. We have had cream-based soups. We have had broth-based soups. We've had sausage and chicken and venison and baked potato and bacon inside of these soups. When we started, we had this kind of a conversation, the sort of conversation that throughout history has divided kingdoms. Does chili count as a soup? And we decided all together, if you can eat it with a spoon out of a bowl, we're going to consider that a contribution to this. So one of our creative members of staff elected to make soft serve ice cream (laughs) as their contribution. It has been a month. Um, We have overeaten, we have laughed, and we've had unique conversations. We've talked about 
flavor profiles and salt levels and textures. Um, yeah, all of this has been in this friendly pursuit for this highly sought after culinary prize, the golden ladle. Ah! Yeah. Um, we have now reached the finals. It's going to happen in a couple weeks. I can't wait to tell you who and what wins. We will report back. Um, I've realized this, that as we've gone through this, on their own, every one of these soups has been really, really good. They could stand alone. Um, And yet, there's been something different. There's been something more having three or four soups to try at the same time. It's almost like um, having them together has made all the individual soups better. It's almost like the soups have been in conversation with each other. It's a little bit like every soup, because it's been with another soup, is richer and is more interesting and is tastier. It's more complex. You've probably noticed in these first couple weeks of Lent that we've talked about something called the lectionary in our Sunday teachings. Every Advent and every Lent, our teaching team elects to utilize the lectionary to give us the teaching texts. Um, We use the Revised Common Lectionary. A lectionary basically is just a collection of passages from the Bible. And they're intended to be used during corporate worship. And they're given or they're assigned every single Sunday according to particular themes. Um, the Revised Common Lectionary that we use, it follows a three-year cycle. So we're in year A, we're in the first of those years, um, and over the three years, we don't read all of the Bible, but we cover a lot of ground. We cover a lot of the Bible, and what, what ends up happening is we cover a lot of places in the Bible that maybe we wouldn't choose on our own, stories in texts and passages that might be a little squirrely, that might be a little uncomfortable, that might be a little hard to pin down, we end up submitting to them. Um, And one of the things that happens as we uh, give ourselves to this design is that we see biblical literacy possibly increased. So in every worship gathering, there are four readings given, something from the Old Testament, something from the Psalms, something from the New Testament, and something from the gospel. And so what happens over time, if you can give yourself faithfully to this kind of a lectionary design, is the body gets a good glimpse of lots of places in the Bible. So hopefully literacy increases a little bit. But we've begun to notice as a teaching team, there's this other helpful byproduct And it's kind of like what I was just mentioning with the soups. Just like all the soups were really, really good by themselves, all of these biblical texts are so good and can stand on their own. And yet when we put them together, when we put them in conversation, when they're situated beside each other, you might say when we consume them all together, 
Well, there's a whole different kind of depth and complexity and beauty that I think comes out of these texts. And that's what I want to put on display this morning. So if you have a Bible, um, either in printed form or in some sort of an electronic form, I'm going to give us a quick glimpse of all four of the readings that are given for us today. We only heard one, but we're going to look at all four of them. And what I hope you end up seeing is a little bit of this very thing, the beauty of all these texts, different nuances, different aspects of the recipe, if you will, that, that sort of stick out. So here's basically the punchline. I want you to be on the lookout as we look at these four texts for something very particular. Notice what's common between all of these texts among lots of different things. But one thing in particular is there are all these powerful images of water and being thirsty. That's today's punchline. Notice how the texts help each other to bring this to light. Let's start here. Let's start with the gospel text. Um, We're going to be in the book of John. Fourth book into the New Testament, fourth of the gospels. I don't have any idea what page it's on. Um, It's on page 1293 in my Bible, if you want to come up here. Um, John chapter 4 is where I would like to start. Um, This is one of those stories that really transcends the Christian faith. This is a story that even people who wouldn't claim to believe in God are possibly familiar with. You heard Kyle mention it in our kids' ministry today. This is the story that they're also going to be concentrating on. There's this story of Jesus and his disciples. They're walking about, and then they have to travel through a region called Samaria, And they come uh, to this town in Samaria that has a religiously significant site, a place called Jacob's Well. Here's a blurry early iPhone picture of Jacob's Well when I was there um, 2013. It's modest. It's functional. It's still operational, in fact. But it's, it, it, just to give you a little bit of a context, this is not one of these super um, ornate places. So Jacob's well is where they are at. And what happens is that Jesus, um, has, is, he's tired. He's tired from the journey that they've been on. And he comes to this well, and he asks a woman who is at this well, who's also come to draw water, he asks this woman to give him a drink. So here we find Jesus, Jesus in his full humanity, tired and thirsty. And then there's this exchange that Jesus has with this woman that keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper. And on the surface level, it looks like it keeps going off topic and more off topic and more off topic. And eventually, this woman asks Jesus, you're talking about living water. Where can I get it? And then she says, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. And we have in this text this kind of paradigmatic story. It's this story that is highlighting both the physical but also the spiritual. It's highlighting the surface level but also the deeper level thirsts. And it's highlighting both an individual but also a kind of universal desire to find what will make us not thirsty. Okay, 
hold on to John 4. And I want to ask you to now look for points of resonance when we move to the book of Exodus. A second book, almost all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, second book of the Bible, Exodus, second book in the Old Testament. We're going to be in chapter 17 in Exodus. Notice some points of connection here as we jump to this story. We have another scene where people are walking about. God's people are wandering. The text, in fact, says there in verse, uh, was it verse 1, that the people are traveling from place to place as the Lord commands them. This is one of the wandering periods. This is a wilderness period for God's people. Um, and they come to a place where they, they don't have any water. And the people, they quarrel with Moses And they say, give us water to drink. The people, um, we find this interesting section in these couple of chapters. There's a lot of grumbling. There's a lot of arguing going on. Because the people are really being stretched. The people are in uncomfortable situations. These people are grumbling for a real reason. And Moses becomes the target for all of their grumbling and all of their discouragement and all of their disappointment. They say things to him like this. Moses, why did you make us come out here in the first place? Just so that all of our animals and all of our children could die of thirst? And then Moses, as a response to the people's grumbling, he cries out to the Lord. And then the Lord answers Moses. And first thing he says is, Moses, go in front of the people. Now, This is kind of risky because Moses, when he cries out to the Lord, he says this, I think the people are ready to stone me. And then God says, well, then go out in front of them, which sounds like terrible advice, doesn't it? He's literally leading Moses to put himself in harm's way. But then God says this moving thing. He says, I will stand there before you. Such a moving, such an important detail. Yes, God directs Moses into a vulnerable, potentially life-threatening situation, but God promises that he will be present with Moses. And then Moses is told, you're supposed to take this staff that you have, this staff that Moses used back in Egypt. It's a staff that he used to strike the Nile River. And when he hit the water, all the water turned into blood. I think this is the kind of staff you hold on to. This is not something you post on eBay. You keep this staff. Moses has still got it. And so God tells him, take that staff, and I want you to go, and I want you to strike a rock. And when you strike the rock, water is going to come out of that rock for the people to drink. In Exodus 17, we get yet one more amazing and powerful picture of God promising both presence and provision. It's all over the Bible, God promising presence and provision. God tells Moses, I will stand there with you and I'm going to provide for my people. And here it's this miraculous moment where Moses 
hits a rock with a stick, and water comes out of it. Okay, do you see John 4, Exodus 17, a couple of points of resonance? Are you picking up on the themes, water and thirst and God providing? Okay, hold on to that. Let's go to one more place. That's not true. We're going to do two more places. Let's go to the next place, middle-ish of your Bible, the book of Psalms. Psalm 95. Um, We've heard a good bit of this psalm already in our liturgy. Um, I just want to demonstrate and point out again the points of resonance. I want to start, let's, let's do the end of verse 7, Psalm 95. End of verse seven. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Mirabah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness. What we have here is the psalmist is he's, he's recalling the story that we just read in Exodus 17. When Moses struck the rock and water came out of it, he marked the place by giving it names. So he named it Massa, Massa, which means testing. And he named it Mirabah, which means quarreling. And so what the psalmist is doing here is saying, remember that place. Remember this event. Remember that moment in the life of God's people. And I think one of the things that's happening here, I think the psalmist is trying to say, um, don't do what you used to do. In this callback to Exodus 17, I think it's an encouragement to Don't keep repeating the mistakes of yesterday. Don't keep going back to the testing and to the grumbling and to the quarreling, to the lack of faith, to the hardness of heart, to the lashing out of one another when you're discouraged and when you're disappointed. Don't keep going back there. Instead, like the rest of the psalm, is the opposite of that. It's this encouragement to worship the Lord, worship the one who is our maker, worship the one who takes care of the flock. And then, verse 1, and this is how we began today. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to what? To the rock. You see it. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. A psalm which is already pointed to the story in Exodus 17. I think is doing it again. In Exodus 17, there was a rock that was struck and it saved the people from dying of thirst. The rock was struck so that the people would not remain thirsty. And here in Psalm 95, our attention is being drawn to the rock of our salvation, the rock through whom we have been saved. The early church fathers, they were always on the lookout when they're reading the Old Testament for pictures and for images and for evidence that Jesus was present. And some of these early 
uh, theologians, some of these early Christians, when they would read something like Exodus 17, they would be looking for and they would be preaching its metaphorical message. And so one of their ways of understanding Exodus 17 is to say this, Jesus was the rock. That Jesus was the rock who was struck. Jesus was the rock who was struck to quench the thirsts of all people for all time. My friend Sam and Kelly, they've been worshiping with us for a while. They may or may not be in the room. They are. Um, among the many gifts that God has given Sam to serve the church, and in addition to being our daughter, one of our daughter Maggie's favorite people on the planet, um, I'm particularly grateful for Sam's poetry. Sam is one of these people who really appreciates the lectionary design. He appreciates the playful interplay of these texts. In fact, if you want another good follow on the social medias, Sam every week writes a lectionary haiku. Um, In his Lenten book of poems, The Reason Love Reaches, Sam does such a good job of capturing this patristic connection between Jesus and the story in Exodus 17. When Moses struck rock, from the stone came flowing streams of water, a refreshing drink everyone could swallow. And when soldiers struck Christ, from his side came flowing streams of water and blood, a redemptive drink some couldn't stomach. Amazon.com. Through the cross, Jesus was struck and made a way for the deeper spiritual truths of every, the deeper spiritual thirsts of every one of us to be satisfied. Therefore, Jesus is the rock of our salvation to whom we are to shout aloud here in Psalm 95. It's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, one more more spot. Let's move to Romans chapter five. We heard this text read by Lynn a couple minutes ago. I want to look at this and then pull this together with a couple of brief thoughts. Paul here in chapter five, he's writing to these people who are in a church in the city of Rome, and he's stressing in these couple of chapters the generosity of God. In chapter five, Paul is centralizing Jesus as the source of our peace with God. And then he spends a little bit of time, verses three and four, he's talking about sufferings. And I think one of the things Paul's trying to get across here is that um, our sufferings actually may be headed somewhere. They may be headed somewhere for our ultimate good. That sufferings are not just simply trials that we're supposed to just endure. They're not just simply struggles that we try to get through. Because sufferings produce in us 
perseverance and character and hope. And he can say something like this because like the people in Exodus 17, Paul is convinced that God is present with us and God provides for us in every single situation. And then Paul comes to these wonderful words in verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been what? Poured out. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you see yet one more resonant image? This image of being poured out into us. The Holy Spirit pouring love into us. When we are thirsty, when you and I are thirsty in our sufferings, God's love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Okay, I hope that that quick drive-by through these four texts has shown you just some of the beauty of this lectionary design, the ways that themes get highlighted, told from slightly different angles, the ways that these texts can be in conversation with one another. I hope that it also wells up inside of you a bit of a desire to dig deeply and to read widely in your Bible, to find these points of resonance and interest in conversation, to see these texts become more tasty to see them take on more texture and more flavor and more beauty. Let me pull this all together, a couple of brief invitations. These are practices that I think whenever we engage them are really valuable. In the season of Lent, they're particularly capturing, I think, the Lenten spirit. First, I want to encourage you to name, to name your thirsts. These four texts, they normalize the human experience of thirst, both at the physical level, but also deeper than that. The woman at the well, surface but deeper. The people in the desert, certainly surfaced, but deeper. Those who are trudging through sufferings, even Jesus himself all acknowledging being thirsty. I think a good starting place, and this may be for some of us, plenty for all of Lent, is to look at your life and notice where you are thirsty. What is parched and dry? What's causing you to grumble? Take some time and name the ways that you are thirsty. Second, interrogate. Interrogate the false sources that we habitually run to to quench those thirsts. Do you remember when, when the people were crying out to Moses what his reaction was? His reaction was to cry out to the Lord. 
And I think this is because Moses was fully aware that he couldn't take care of it. Moses knew that he was not the source, that he couldn't be the source to satisfy their being thirsty. And then Jesus with the woman at the well, he keeps digging a little deeper, and he says eventually, you need a source that is greater than the physical well around which we are standing. So who or what are you constantly relying on to take care of your thirsts? Is it your spouse? Or a friend? Lord, have mercy, your pastor. Your therapist, or a podcast, or a website, or a hobby, or a beverage, or an activity, or a streaming service. Where do you run to? What do you do? Who do you seek out when you're thirsty? Take some time and interrogate those sources, acknowledging although they may be good, they are not ultimately the sources that will satisfy. Third, direct your thirsts. Direct them to the source who can quench. Like Moses, cry out to the Lord. Like the woman at the well, ask Jesus for the living water, the living water which is his very self. Ask for the living water so that you won't be thirsty anymore. Ask once again for God's love to be poured freshly into your heart by the Holy Spirit. In the words of the the modern hymn writer Marva Dawn, we, we sing this sometimes, from the waters of God's mercy we drink deeply, we are made whole, so bring your thirsts, for he will quench them. He alone can satisfy. Direct your thirsts to the source who can quench. And then finally, celebrate. Celebrate the source who faithfully pours out for our sake. The rock of our salvation, Jesus Christ, was willingly struck so that our deepest thirsts and our deepest needs would be met in his sufferings. Friends, the rock, the rock doesn't need to be struck ever again. Through the once and for all work of Jesus on the cross, through the Holy Spirit, God generously pours love into us. And then we are promised that whoever drinks this living water will never be thirsty. And so, let's shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before him with thanksgiving. Let's kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. We are the flock under God's care. We are the ones 
upon whom God so generously pours out love to satisfy our thirsty hearts. Thanks be to God.